Hey, so welcome back to the Cairo London podcast. It's Craig McLean here, and I've got quite an amazing guest today. His name is Sam Wang, and he is the co-founder of the Cairo One Group that operate mainly out of the Chicago and Illinois area. However, they actually run 73 different clinics across six states within the U.S., now, uh, I was fortunate enough to meet these guys randomly. Stu and Sam are the co-founders of um, the Cairo One Group, and they were tourists in London back in, I think it was May 2019. They popped by, we had a chat, and we really kind of sparked off a relationship, which then saw Luke and myself travel to Chicago in September 2019. But look, Sam's a busy guy, and I was really grateful of the fact that he shared uh, nearly an hour with us um, chatting about all things with regards to building a business from when the two of them got together, there was a, a combination of 12 clinics, and in 14 years, they grew those 12 clinics to 73. So respect, Stu and Sam and the other founders of Cairo One. Um, but you know, we, they, they have 107 chiropractors. They've got 120 people working in their head office. It's a huge facility, the head office alone. Um, and when you compare it to sort of the humble offerings of Cairo London, uh, it was certainly a great opportunity to learn. So, you know, if you're a, I'm sure any chiropractor would be interested in hearing Sam's take on how he does practice in the US. We get into a little bit about insurance. We get into a little bit about uh, the, the outcome measures that they have in place to ensure that the quality of care is optimal. But anyway, it's a, it's a pretty nice conversation. Sorry about some of the technical glitches we had on the day. I think when totally blaming zoom for this it was my first use of zoom for the podcast and uh, but i've managed to sort of edit together a pretty nice conversation there are a few little glitchy bits um so and the and the sound quality is not phenomenal but look the the conversation and some of the detail we go into is well worth sticking around for so sit back relax and hopefully you enjoy our conversation Thanks very much. So, Sam, welcome to the Cairo London podcast, mate. Um, you're in Chicago. I'm in London. And uh, thank you for taking the time to be with us today, hey? Well, thank you for having me. And I think uh, we're you're about six hours ahead, right? So it's, uh, it's just afternoon, your time? Exactly. Just go on midday. Well, very good. Well, good afternoon, everybody there. And Good morning to anybody in the States that are listening. Now, uh, can you describe where you are? Because uh, you are in, well, tell us where you're sitting and, and what part of Chicago are you in? I am sitting in my office. We're in our corporate headquarters uh, and we're located in Oak Brook, Illinois, which is a western suburb from Chicago. Chicago is right where the uh, Great Lake, Lake Michigan is, and we're about... Uh, 30 or 17 miles west of the lake. Now, uh, I was lucky enough to visit headquarters in September last year before the world went mad, and it is quite an amazing thing you've got there, not just 
Cairo One, the multiple practice group that you are co-founder in, but uh, the headquarters in itself. But do you want to, because you're in quite a large building uh, for a headquarters, aren't you? We are. We have about, um, I think we're just expanding actually, but we're about 30,000 square feet. Uh, Roughly kind of give you, if you're not really into those uh, measurements, it's about 120 people here sitting at corporate. Uh, just doing administrative functions, support services. So maybe for the listeners who don't know who you are or what Cairo One is, can you give us a little bit of a background? Well, not a background, just what is the offering right now? Where where are you at? How many clinics have you got and all that sort of stuff? Sure. So uh, to kind of give the org chart from above down, it's uh, we have a MSO, which stands for Management Service Organization, which is called Medulla. And so Medulla acts as the uh, administrative support to then our practices, which are called Cairo One Wellness Centers. Uh, We also have, I don't know if I had a chance to connect with you, Greg, that we have another brand called MyoCore. And you can look that up at M-Y-O-C-O-R-E.com, MyoCore.com. And it's... um, really bridging the gap, at least here in the U.S., of um, having our medical uh, colleagues uh, comfortable with referring their patients that present with musculoskeletal conditions to a chiropractor because we are credentialed providers now in the either main hospital or located in practices that are in the MOB, which stands for Medical Office Buildings, on campus. Okay. Um, so we have uh, nine of those facilities, uh, and we currently have uh, 73 Cairo One locations uh, in between six states. Wow, 73. So six states mm-hmm. and a hospital offering as well. Nine of those currently and growing. So... That, like, uh, again, respect, mate, uh, Cairo, London, with our five clinics. Um, uh, that is a pretty amazing feat that you've managed to put together there, like 73 places. And did I see, because you headed west recently, is that right? You've opened up some in, is it in Seattle or Vancouver? Uh, just south of Seattle. It's in the state of Washington, but in a town called Vancouver, which is really kind of uh, right on the borderline between the state of Washington and the state of Oregon. So it's really in the Portland metropolitan area, um, but it's on the Washington side called Vancouver, Washington. So you are a numbers man. You are the kind of, uh, I've, I've seen you in action and you've, you love the kind of mechanics of running a, such a machine that you have put together. Uh, Let's talk a few more numbers then. How many chiropractors do you currently have working with you? Wow, that's a mo- moving bogey when people ask that question, but we are currently with 107 chiropractors on staff. Okay, that's amazing. Um, okay, so look, go back into the start of it then. Um, how many, because I have obviously, when we went out to Chicago last year, we met, uh, Luke and I met Stu and your other partners in crime. 
Talk to me about how it all began. Stu had a seventh location uh, in a town called Schomburg, and I was opening the sixth practice about a mile away from his practice. And uh, I gave him a call and said, you know, would you like to grab a cup of coffee and kind of talk about maybe sharing uh, some marketing expenses since we predominantly practice the same um, uh, protocols and procedures. And so that coffee in the June, in June of 2006 led to a conversation more down a path of um, what if we combined our two organizations to kind of dominate or put a strong foothold uh, in the Chicagoland market. Uh, so that idea was exciting. It, it uh, uh, was serving both of our bigger visions, our bigger whys personally. And uh, when we then brought our respective two partners into the conversation, uh, you can imagine having six alpha males uh, kind of all having their chest puffed up and, and being dominant, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't go well uh, on the first conversation to, to bring those two groups together. But um, eventually um, we, we think we bored them in the submission and, and realized that, you know, the, the power of bringing uh, very talented, unique skill set individuals together is going to be again, more productive than independently trying to own and operate our own separate entities uh, and try to still accomplish the overall outcomes. You know, unfortunately, uh, we, we still haven't figured out how to get over the 24-hour day limit uh, of our existence, right, every day, and to be able to maximize what we're trying to accomplish long-term as chiropractors. Uh, we, rec- you know, we, we identified quickly that if we could bring talented people with unique skill sets and, you know, bring them in together uh, as a team and utilize them appropriately, we can actually get far more done, exponentially done uh, of, of work than independently trying to operate ourselves. So you've, so, I was going to say you've achieved so much since 2006 though, because that's literally only about 14 years ago. And the initial offering, I seem to remember it was probably what eight or nine, or like five each or something, or not, not even. It was five and seven, so it was twelve yeah. uh, coming together, and uh, and we had you know we had our trials and tribulations. We grew really really fast uh, really early on. Uh, we averaged anywhere between fifteen to twenty new practices a year on our initial growth um, in three states. And then in 2013, we had a setback. But look, uh, I also wanted to touch on this thing because I I remember flicking through briefly, you have uh, an amazing document that you've put together, which you've spent hours upon hours putting together, I'm pretty sure. And that's looking at actually what the insurance companies are prepared to pay for in terms of a particular condition that actually comes in, right? Um, And I don't know if you can go into a little bit of detail around that, whereby you were just literally looking at what was on the table in terms of, say, lower back pain, uh, and then you're able to say, okay, well, the government is willing to sort of look after you for this length of time or this amount of money, and... Therefore, we can provide that service, which is appropriate. Um, what we have in the U.S. is uh, 
three uh, predominant branches uh, that kind of have oversight, I guess, or, or contribution to um, healthcare. Um, first is within our profession, you know, we have a few national associations um, from the American Chiropractic Association to the International Chiropractic Association that writes guidelines for musculoskeletal care. We have our governmental guidelines, which are the government insurance, the Medicare and the Medicaid's. And then thirdly, we have what we just briefly touched upon is the uh, insurance payer companies um, that also have their then unique set of proprietary treatment guidelines um, uh, that then kind of create this, again, perfect triad of, well, whose documents do you use uh, and it creates a lot of then profession or industry confusion to say, I'm going to use the insurance guidelines because that's who pays me, or I'm going to follow the gold standard, uh, which is the federal guidelines, since that's the government, the U.S. government producing them, or I'm going to follow our industry guidelines uh, and recommendations because that's, you know, the practice, the profession or the practice that we're in. Um, and so it was a culmination of reading through all of those texts, and um, it was several hundred uh, references uh, and finding common denominators between all three uh, groups or factions, and then consolidating it to a simple timetable equation to say if the patient has a condition with either an acute, subacute, or chronic condition with a um, severity of mild, moderate, severe, we could determine the number of visits that the provider, the chiropractor, should prescribe per condition. Did that come across? Absolutely. It's uh, a bit clearer now. I turned off my video and let's face it, no one really wants to see my ugly head anyway. So, um. Well, I was going to say, that's probably good for me as well. I think just having our names would probably be <laughs> oh, come more, on. more appealing to watch, right? <laughs> um, no, so look, picking up on that too, So uh, because I, I also noticed when I visited a few of your clinics that it's very much a, um, an offering of chiropractic, which is a very strong philosophically off, a philosophical offering too, right? So even though you've just talked about the fact that, um, you know, you are providing care in alignment with the, the government guidelines, uh, you also, once you have a patient in the building, uh, it's very much a traditional chiropractic experience in terms of health and well-being and uh, talk to me a little bit about the kind of the ethos or the philosophy behind each practice. And I know you use CBP, uh, kind of almost curve correction, focus, that type of stuff. So how did you end up going down that route? Um, because it's not just, you know, if you just heard that little bit about we follow government guidelines, you might think you're basically like a pain clinic, right? But you probably couldn't be any further than that as far as I can understand. So explain to me a little bit about that. Well, what we have in the U.S., we're very fortunate in the sense that uh, over the last 125 years and really over the last probably 40, uh, 
the governmental guidelines uh, with Medicare, for instance, uh, which is run through our health and human services uh, branch of the government, uh, is quite chiropractic friendly or centric uh, from a philosophical position, meaning they require us chiropractors as your primary diagnosis uh, of the condition of vertebral subluxation. Uh, and as opposed to, you know, the other insurance companies, uh, you know, just says, hey, if the patient only has a shoulder complaint or a knee complaint, uh, you know, that that's not, or that's the primary diagnosis, not something related to the spine. And so um, Medicare does a fantastic job really describing uh, and stating clearly what subluxations are, which are interference to the communication pathway between the brain and the body, resulting in, you know, physiological, obviously neurological, neuropathophysiological type of responses, which then ultimately results into the symptoms that patients present in. Uh, and so we get to diagnose subluxation as your primary code. Uh, and then if there are complicating factors or comorbidities, we get to add additional diagnosis codes to support the severity and more of the duration of how long the patient needs to heal through those conditions. So it's, um, it's, it's, you know, again, as you get deeper into the layers of reading these references, you start recognizing, hey, are the generation before us who really did a phenomenal job uh, getting involved uh, and, and being as clear as they could uh, in defining the industry, defining the profession, um, you know, left a really, you know, lasting, uh, I think, uh, foundation for us to, you know, bounce off of. And uh, is, it's, is so, it's same, very easy. Is that the same in every state or is it a state-by-state state differential? Well, because Medicare is a federal, it's governed through all 50 states. Yeah. However, your question is uh, accurate. There are then the right for each state to use the federal guidelines and then decide to create their own limitations beyond that as they go through. Um, however, we're, we're very fortunate. All 50 states uh, recognizes Cairo as primary care and primary portal of entry, which is more important for us. Um, and that our scopes uh, in all 50 states are neuromusculoskeletal in nature. Um, so, so going back to that whole thing of like, um, if Medicare recognizes vertebral subluxation as a primary diagnosis uh, and therefore you can actively provide treatment based with that as a diagnosis. Why is the whole, as far as my understanding is, certainly in the UK, why is the whole globe in the chiropractic education side of things trying to downplay the term vertebral subluxation and the diagnosis of a subluxation? It's a good question, and I'm probably not the best person to answer that uh, from a political stance, but I think uh, what I've heard as I read some of the industry journals, you know, it's, it's um, a difficult, you know, because medicine already has a definition of subluxation, or sorry, of luxation, uh, especially when it comes to reading uh, images for the joints uh, as, a, you know, luxation as a complete dislocation. And so um, I think it's a old terminology that I think uh, newer providers aren't willing to um, 
continue to define because of the confusion. And so I think they want to kind of just take the stigma away from all of the historical, you know, lack of science or lack of evidence, you know, whatever they want to say that says, you know, I don't want to fight that fight and let's just start a new conversation called vitalism, for instance, you know, and, um, and we practice, you know, and, and being inclusive with that. And so, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not the best one to really answer uh, why people uh, don't, you know, I, I have a value for our history. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm a nut about, about the past, but I, I really appreciate the um, commitment and the uh, path that the pioneers paved in our profession um, to get us to where we are today. And I think our generation today really has an easier path of just mass educating society on the detriment of vertebral subluxation. And then I think as we continue on over the next 20 to 30 years, more importantly, how to utilize chiropractic in a wellness lifestyle. We have as an industry, we're highly, highly fragmented fragmented currently with how we are prescribing care uh, with our patients. Um, predominantly, I think, due to lack of standardizations. Um, but, you know, I think that's kind of the next 20 to 35 years that will really define who we are as, a, as an industry. And so specifically with, because uh, you, you touched on, but maybe didn't quite finish that idea of you diagnose subluxation, you create a, a care plan to help initially, but then it is about vitalism for your clinics and about improving health and well-being, and then engaging with um, the people that maybe originally came in with pain into more of a kind of a, a, a an improved well-being journey, right? So you definitely support that within your clinics, right? Absolutely, and let's face it, you know, pain is a fantastic motivator to have patients walk into our practices, right, of some complaints of an ailment. Um, and I think we really do a good job educating that patient from visit one and every sequential visit from that point forward on, you know, how our bodies, uh, you know, where health comes from and how our bodies really heal um, and what health and wellness truly looks like, look, looks like as opposed to just the absence of disease or symptoms, right? And so we spend a lot of time educating our patients uh, on not just, first and foremost, the nervous system and making sure we function uh, at our 100%, um, but also then even outside, right, with proper exercise, reduction of stress, um, good nutrition, uh, but more strengthening, right, our bodies to prepare ourselves for the environment as opposed to just treating sickness and disease. Great. So a nice little segue there of what you said previously about um, this, the lack of standardization within the profession. Uh, I was also very impressed with your, your basically Cairo One University or whatever you want to call it. What do you call it? The, the, basically the, the mentorship of any new doc who wants to join your clinics, your group, goes through a three-month mentorship, right? Or can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. And, you know, and I'd love to be able to take credit, but a lot of this is already being done with our 
uh, colleagues in medicine. So when they come out of school, we all understand that depending on the specialty that they choose uh, to practice, they have to do a residency or a fellowship, uh, which is postgraduate training hours in that particular area or field, right? Uh, you know, it, the, the light bulb kind of came up that we recognized no matter how fantastic our academic institutions are here in the U.S. in providing an education to, you know, technically and clinically get us sound, there was still some gap of how we took what we learned in school and the um, clinic rotations and internships in school didn't necessarily apply to the real world of the business of practice. And so we recognize there's a gap of information that isn't um, acquired uh, through natural training. Um, and it just normally took, unfortunately, trial and error or practicing time. Uh, and it took the average provider out there, the average Cairo, five, maybe 10 years to figure out on their own to get to their definition of success. And so the fellowship program, as you mentioned, is a 12-week training that entails classroom. Uh, there's a 25-module classroom curriculum uh, that's then followed up in the afternoons with field observations to see every system, process, procedure, protocol within our practice so that we can reduce that trial and error time and make the provider really improve on, and I, I bundle it all under what we call professional development. So for sure, there's clinical case management. For sure, there's some technique training, as you mentioned, CBP, which uh, is an acronym for chiropractic biophysics. Um, so we teach some technique, but it's also really that bedside manner and our ability as chiropractors to be educators and how to teach and train our patients to really understand wellness as opposed to our current paradigm of health, which is sickness and disease care. Yeah, right. So we spend those 12 weeks uh, in classroom, out in the field, um, so that we prepare our providers uh, by the time they get assigned and promoted as a clinic director, they're hitting the ground running. And that's uh, that's the thing, because then that's like a real kind of um, graduate process, isn't it? You know, where you go your 12-week program, you then assess the performance of that individual through that process, and if they are flying, then you may well have an opportunity for them immediately. Uh, or if not, I remember you said that you had a bit of a rotating locum type of situation just to kind of get people to dip their toe in the water, right? That's exactly right. And, and what we recognized really fast that as chiropractors, we've all demonstrated through our academic backgrounds that we're very proficient uh, in memorization regurgitation. Yeah. So just by studying in another, another curriculum, we all do fairly well with that if our focus is present. Uh, but what's the next step, which is then the execution phase of all the procedures and protocols that they learned and observed. Uh, and that is where we have what we call our traveling associate, as you said, locum. It's our fill-in support for our clinic directors. Um, but it's also, more importantly, it's the hands-on uh, 
experience of where they are an interim clinic director, uh, either for the day or for the week or for the month as they're supporting our clinic directors and our practices out in the field. Yeah, that's a, it's obviously a tried and tested way of doing things. And it's, uh, you know, I agree, you know, a lot of the new graduates coming out do not have a lot of the skills needed to communicate effectively with people coming in the door or, or, or even you know, technically able to provide an awesome adjustment. Um, so it sounds like holding their hands through this in a really structured way uh, is phenomenal. So that's great. Then, But then you also have within your clinics, I think, a pretty amazing teamwork between CAs or front desk personnel and DCs as well, right? Because the, the chiropractor doesn't do everything, does he? That's right. And again, uh, not to take the credit, you know, when you look in a hospital model, and I think we probably have similar models here in the U.S. and there in the U.K., where when the hospital hires the doctor, uh, the provider, they're, they hire the doctor to come in and to treat patients and get outcomes and ultimately have patient satisfaction, but, you know, to get clinical outcomes. The doctor doesn't come in and go, okay, now I'm going to hire my team of nurses. I'm going to train my team of nurses. And then I'm going to have to hire uh, a front desk receptionist and train that receptionist. No, you know, that's all provided for them. And so our same Cairo One model was designed to say, you, your only job in our system is to be a fantastic chiropractor and get patient outcomes. We will then hire your support staff, which we call our chiropractic assistants or chiropractic technicians, CAs or CTs. Uh, and then we offered succession plans for them because we, back to our big why, right, our company's vision that all human beings discover their full potential, that we said, hey, it's not just for the chiropractors to really discover their full potentials inside being phenomenal providers, but really the support team, including the clinical support team, including also the administrative support team is how do we grow everybody up so that we all excel in doing and being the best in who we are, right? And so the support staff, uh, gets a very, very specific training, similar to what the doctors go through here. Uh, the CA has a four-week training program. That's two weeks classroom, two weeks in the field. And that also have a, they have a final accumulative assessment that they have to successfully pass through that demonstrates that they know all of the software, they know all of the procedures and protocols, uh, and that they can support uh, the provider, the chiropractor, in the various examinations, uh, imaging, and then obviously treatment uh, of care so that we all kind of sync, you know, as a team, sync to where the doctor knows their role, the CTs know their role, and so that everybody, you know, are, are focused to their skill sets. Um, we recognized really early on that when we first started practicing, the Cairo did a little bit of everything. They wore multiple hats in that practice and spent many, many hours, either after hours or on evenings and weekends, doing administrative functions that 
really wasn't, you know, to that chiropractor's skill set, for sure wasn't taught in our schools, um, and that it wasn't a efficient utilization of time uh, or resources. Um, and so we, you know, so we have a fan- phenomenal chiropractic technician training program where they eventually get credentialed with the individual states that we work in to be limited radiographic technicians. So they can actually take the x-rays that the doctors order. Um, And then they even have another step if they want to become sort of the equivalent of an office manager, we call them care managers or patient advocates, um, to where they then have the financial conversation. So we remove that conflict of interest from the provider, from the chiropractor's um, conversation. And the doctor's job is to prescribe the best recommendation of care. And then we leave the room and the care manager comes in and talks the financial arrangement of how to get that set up in terms of the various care plans we offer. Well, it sounds like a dream to be a chiropractor working for you, right? So because um, of the support network that's there. Um, well, one other thing I was, so who does the uh, outcome measurement or the measurement of, um, you were talking about the fact that the, you know, the primary goal of every chiropractor is to provide the best care possible for people to realize their optimum potential. But is that like a head office job that people are kind of like measuring outcomes or, or who's, who's doing that? We do them all at the individual clinic level. So we measure outcomes with five objective criteria. First, it's pre-post imaging. So we want to be able to say, regardless of all of our providers have autonomy to use any technique, adjust the patient as they see fit. However, imaging doesn't lie. And so when you take a pre and you take a post and you're looking at biomechanics that we all studied, regardless of the school that you attended, you can say as a chiropractor, I see improvement pre and post care, right? So uh, objective findings with imaging, objective findings with orthopedic neurological assessments, right? So we all have learned those tests uh, to say, did they show improvement? Did they have weaknesses that they improved on? Uh, Computerized range of motion, as we recognize, obviously, every joint in the body has a Uh, normal limit of range of motion, and if they have any fixations, did we improve on that? We use muscle and reflex testing, computerized muscle and reflex testing. And then finally, it's functional and outcome assessment questionnaires. Those are the validated tools uh, that we've all learned in school uh, to be able to demonstrate whether we've, you know, reduced the symptomatology, but more improved, but also improved functionality uh, into that uh, patient's body. And so coincidentally, this is what our insurance companies also would like to see that validates the medical necessity for the treatment that you're providing. And that's how they decide to reimburse you is, are you providing effective care? You know, we are in this transition, I think uniquely from being a industry of healthcare of fee for service to more being a value-based program where we've got to be able to demonstrate outcomes is really then defining whether you should get paid or not. You know, what's the point of just giving a service that doesn't define outcomes outside of symptomatic complaint? Because we also know the validity of, of, you know, 
sham adjustments or 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 you know the the yeah, look, I, I know what you're talking about because it's like, you know, it's one of the big challenges we have over here where we don't have as structured a outcome measurement going on. And you know how that conversation goes. Sometimes it just goes if it's not very well structured. It's like, well, okay, you've had 12 sessions now. Do you want to keep going or not? <laughs> uh, and then they're like, yeah, I kind of like it. Let's keep going, you know. And then that's all very much you can't measure that. There's nothing measured there. It's kind of like an experiential sort of discussion. Um, I think you nailed it right on the head, Craig, that as chiropractors, we fell into the same pitfall, the same trap of saying, hey, we're vitalistic providers focusing on making sure the body's working as a whole, as opposed to just the sum of your parts. But yet we get caught with allowing our patients to judge our care based upon just the subjective complaint, how they're feeling, right? And as we all studied the nervous system, only 10% of the entire nervous system, right? The CNS and PNS perceives pain. Yeah. Right. And so we're using the, the, the weakest barometer, the, the, the weakest measurement and allowing patients to make that decision then on effectiveness of care, as opposed to having objective findings that then become great patient education tools to be able to say, hey, let's look at your findings and see how you're progressing. And and then they go, oh, fantastic. Even though I still am a little sore, I still have this ache or pain or discomfort. And you go, yes, we're making progress. Hey, just a random question. Have you ever had a UK graduate come to your program? We have not, but we're always welcome and the doors are open. (laughs) How about any international, like Aussies or that sort of thing? Not yet. Um, What I've learned is the majority of the states, uh, so long as you graduated from an institution that is the equivalent of our US CCE, which I think there's a European CCE, uh, accreditation uh, that then you can sit for our U.S. national boards to then get licensure in majority of our states here. Uh, it's a bit of a process, but um, no different than if I wanted to travel up north and practice in Canada, I would have to then sit for the Canadian boards and work on my credentials and licensure. But um, but yeah, it's open. And, uh, and yeah, we would love, like a, you know, in my little way of trying to say thank you for taking the time today is I'm trying to plug your program as much as I don't want all my chiropractors to go over and work for you. Um, any <laughs> thousands of chiropractic community listeners over there, you should get in touch with Sam, right? If you want to go and work in the States. So why not? We would love it. That would be uh, a fantastic compliment. Uh, but if anything, you know, and this is kind of, um, uh, what I love about this conversation and, and, and how we've talked offline is, you know, I would love nothing more to see chiropractic grow internationally, right, with some sort of standardization so that we can scale as an industry and reproduce the outcomes that we know we get with our patients. We're just notoriously, as chiropractors, uh, horrible at documenting the success stories yeah. outside of patient testimonials, yeah, yeah. you know, but, you know, using the clinical objective findings that we were all trained on to say, Hey, let's really push some research, some data out there 
to be able to then back up the phenomenal care that we provide to our patients. So you've partly answered that anyway, but what is it that drives you out of bed at 5.30 or 5 o'clock every morning? Because I know you're an early riser. Um, You know, you've been doing this for 20 plus years, I guess. Uh, What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, I love it. Uh, It's really, you know, and again, I think as as a chiropractor, uh, what woke me up was just the impact that we made to our patients' lives, right? And not just them independently, but how then that collateral butterfly effect impacted their families and then, you know, their families that they associate with, their extended families, and then the community at whole. And so the reach, right, with just one pair of hands and one practice then gets multiplied by having multiple units and multiple providers under that same umbrella, which then exponentially starts growing, right? And so it really, really gives me the juice to to not only not only uh, grow in volume, because as Cairo One, we have this big vision that we think we will reach that tipping point by the time we exceed a thousand locations. Wow. But also just as exciting is to or help finish what our pioneers started, which is to mass educate society on what chiropractic is and then how to utilize chiropractic in a wellness lifestyle. And so that really, and and I see, I can see that actually within our lifetime uh, to where the next generation, when my sons, you know, go to college and then, and then go to Cairo school, um, their experience of practice isn't, oh, do you have a chiropractor or do you know of a chiropractor? It's who's your chiropractor? Uh, and ultimately for me, what would be exciting is who's your Cairo One chiropractor? Yeah, nice. <clears throat> Love it. Hey, uh, what's been your biggest challenge so far in running the group or helping set up the group? Well, I think a lot of times, you know, the biggest strength, uh, which is we have some incredibly talented uh, doctors. We have incredibly talented uh, administrative staff. Uh, and I think that also then kind of flips to being our biggest obstacle, meaning, you know, as we all know, uh, we are independent, in, intelligent, free thinkers. And we decided as providers to go non-mainstream and not go into traditional allopathic medicine path and decided to go to this vitalistic path of of health and wellness, that my biggest challenge is kind of corralling over a hundred chiropractors that have points of view, you know, that have ideas and that know that there are a lot of different modalities that help with patients, right? Uh, And how do I get them together and say, I absolutely appreciate and it's not even an argument of whether that modality is valid or effective. It's just at this present time, because consumer, you know, the patient is confused of what chiropractors do and, and, um, and the outcomes that we can get. Uh, it's to bring them all together to say, can you practice within this model, within this scalable model, uh, until we reach that tipping point or that critical mass uh, understanding, 
And then, you know, the, the scope can spread out wider. That's probably the biggest challenge is, is bringing them together and finding talented providers to be able to join the vision and mission. Because especially that, you know, it's only natural, isn't it? As a chiropractor spends 10 years, 15 years, 20 years practicing, whether they get a bit bored with a certain technique or whether they sort of go and sort of have this amazing experience doing something else and then they kind of want to evolve what they're doing. But you're right. It's, if you're trying to sort of standardise the offering, it's um, you sometimes have to sort of reel that in a little bit, don't you? And just to give you, you know, a personal story, you know, I um, in my third year of practice, I had uh, massage therapists uh, and I really, uh, you know, think massage is an effective, you know, therapy for, you know, all sorts of different conditions. But uh, I recognized in year three in practice um, during a middle of uh, a Midwest winter where I had a couple of therapists that were on vacation and then one had to call in sick. So the next morning, you know, my front desk was calling patients to let them know who had scheduled massage plus their adjustments um, that the massage for that morning uh, wasn't going to happen. And it was just the, but the chiropractor is in. So we're going to, you know, still see you right in their, in their appointment times that majority of those appointments, those patients decided to cancel and reschedule to where the, to when the massage therapist was back. And I quickly identified that the patient valued the massage more and attributed the clinical outcomes to the massage therapy as opposed to the chiropractic adjustment. Mate, it's probably getting on to seven o'clock. There's probably other people coming into your building right now uh, as opposed to <laughs> you being the only one there, which you're probably first in the door most mornings, right? Um, uh, yeah, mate, I, I love the peace and quiet when 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 you're the only one here. Yeah. Um, do you want to, I mean, have you got any... We should sort of wrap it up a little bit soon. Um, but the have you got any more words of wisdom for either Cairo London or for, for anyone out there trying to build a really successful team? Because you've you've obviously built very successful team, um, and I'm sure you've got all, you know, like you said, you've always got challenges with a the bigger the group, the more challenging it can be sometimes. But any particular words of wisdom you'd like to share or round up uh, the interview with? Well, I think um, it's really, really hard when you're in it uh, to um, really have gratitude and appreciation. You know, I think as chiropractors, we probably spend more time and focus on that. But um, to the team at Carol, you know, at Carol London, that you know, you and Luke have really done a phenomenal job. And I remember, you know, the amount of effort and time and energy it takes to start multi-units and to have and train chiropractors into um, a successful business model. And so I really want to acknowledge you guys for what it is that you're trying to accomplish uh, over there, um, but also uh, kind of impart or really kind of empower uh, every chiropractor in any organization that not to just look up to the leadership team to say, hey, guys, what's next? But to really kind of bring opportunity and be creative 
to say, hey, have we thought about or can we do X, Y, Z? And I think that would be um, also wise to, as being the leadership team, uh, to look down and to continuously ask um, your doctors, you know, what else can we do, right, to support the vision and mission of this organization uh, to grow, you know, and, and really look upon, you know, I think during this COVID pandemic, not to uh, put a timestamp on this uh, mm-hmm. recording, but during this pandemic, it's really taught us to um, pivot the model uh, from being really, really reliant upon, you know, the different uh, marketing events to the different, you know, way we interact, um, including using tech technology, but also then being conscious going, is the things that we're doing supporting our vision or is it taking us to a different direction? And so um, it's allowed us to really kind of look inside and say, as we all know, anecdotally, that the best patients, right, uh, refer the best patients. And so we've gotten really, really good in Cairo One uh, to rely on extrinsic factors to bring in new patients into our practices through, you know, social and digital, as well as our external screening events to have to change and pivot during this pandemic to say, you know what, we really have to go back to the core basics and rely on our patient base, right? And empower them and put some actual ownership to them to say, we need your help, right? Be a little bit of vulnerability there uh, or just display some of that and say, hey, we need your support because the only thing wrong with chiropractic is that not enough people know about it. And so we need your support in being able to bring people in so that we can educate our communities, our families, our friends on how to actually have a fantastic wellness lifestyle. Right. Well, I think that draws a line under it nicely. So Sam, thank you very much uh, all the way from Chicago for joining us today. And uh, look, it's been, well, we've had a few technical glitches, but hopefully with my amazing editing skills, I can sort of uh, piece together a, a great podcast. So Sam, thanks for sharing your wisdom, man. Uh, My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me.